Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It goes up, it goes down, and then it goes all the way up. And we kind of don't know where it all ends ultimately is going to end. But what we have to do is enjoy the ride. And the ride is much more enjoyable when we can give in to the fact that there's things that we can't control, focus on what we can control, and just keep going forward. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Are you a business owner struggling to find the time to focus on your expertise? Effective delegation is the key to your problems, but how do you let go of control and delegate tasks? Meet Valerie Trapunsky, founder and CEO of Chatterbox. Chatterbox has over 175 high-performing executive assistants supporting entrepreneurs across the country. So Valerie knows quite a bit about effective delegation. In this episode, Valerie shares insights on building trust in a virtual environment, clearing mental clutter, and tips for letting go of control. Pull out a notepad and learn how to free up your time and delegate effectively. Let's talk to Valerie now. Hey, Valerie, thanks so much for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How's it going today? Oh, it's going really well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being part of the show. I'd love to start out with hearing a little bit about you. What do you do for a living? So I used to be a personal assistant and a chief of staff. And I did that for about five or six years. And while I was uh, in that role, it was, by the way, fascinating. Uh, A lot of people don't realize what an interesting career, being a personal executive assistant and a chief of staff is that you're able to see inside the world of a super successful individual. And I've had the honor of supporting pretty um, successful individuals in their niche. And so I had that experience in my career. And from there, I started my company, Chatterboss. Chatterboss is a remote executive assistant company, and we support entrepreneurs and business owners by pairing them to dedicated and on-demand assistants. So while you were this executive assistant, it sounded like you were supporting some, you know, pretty busy people, uh, powerful people probably even. Were you thinking all along like, hey, I want to start my own uh, assistant firm or, or just chatterboss in your mind or how does that evolve? No, you know, I know a lot of people are able to plan out their journeys, right? And you can't plan out the, the, the entire journey, right? That, uh, you know, that, that there is a saying 
you know, man plans and God laughs, right? <laughs> so of course we cannot plan everything, but I know that there are individuals that have plans, right? They have a one year, a five year, a 10, 20 year plan. And I know that it's only a very small portion of the population that's actually able to think through, you know, that 10 and 20 year and beyond. I'm the kind of person that really lives in the moment. And so I'm very inspired about, you know, the events that happened to me. So the truth is I never planned to be a personal assistant. I never planned to be a chief of staff. That was certainly never in my idea of a career trajectory, but it's something that happened. And then it was a very natural evolution uh, to start Chatterboss from there because I was very passionate about business and you know, I, I have that kind of entrepreneurial drive. And so th there was the combination of learning a lot about a, a very niche industry and then having that light bulb turn on. So since you were supporting executives, do you find executives and business owners, do you find they have a challenge delegating or letting go of things? And if so, like, what's the solution for that? Yeah, absolutely. I love that you asked that question. And we currently, we, we've created a delegation self-assessment that we can uh, share uh, with the audience as well. But it's why I, I, I say about the self-assessment is because it guides you through what does it look like, you know, when you're delegating, where are your specific stoppers when delegating? And we all have specific stoppers when delegating, but there is this other world of it, which is what is my character? What's my personality? And then there are certain stoppers that I'm going to have uh, individually that are kind of ingrained, baked into who I am. And some of those are harder to overcome. For example, individuals that are real perfectionists or struggle with control, which a lot of entrepreneurs end up being in that category. Right, right will then have their own unique hurdles when it comes to delegating because so much of delegating is about relinquishing control and, and setting you know different types of expectations. Right. So I want to take you back to your days when you were doing when you were supporting executives. Did you have to gain their trust to get them to delegate to you or give you items they were delegating essentially to you? How did that work? And that trust, because for me, I mean, I'm probably falling in the control category. You have to build that trust until you're comfortable. How do you get there? Like, what's that assessment? How does it help the individual to suddenly trust? I love that you asked this question. No one's ever asked me this question in the context of my background. If you ask me this question about how do you get, how do you build trust with a virtual executive assistant? And I can answer that. That comes up all the time. But as you asked that, it was actually, the tactic was different in my in-person roles. Okay. And in fact, I held three positions in that space. What allowed me to gain trust was the person that was either the previous assistant or still the current assistant vouching for me. So it was actually, I never want trust directly with the individual first. It was always, there. there is in, in, in these you know, in these larger households and in these larger kind of, you know, personal conglomerates, there's a number of individuals at the assistant level supporting, and there's usually one that's already very trusted. And so if you win that person's trust, 
then the principal feels like, you know, it's almost like they're not spending, they're not even actually spending the time vetting you. It's their assistant or other chief of staff that is doing that for you. I got it. The reason I asked the question is because it's so natural for you to be doing Chatterboss now, having been in a role, supporting executives is a tough job. I mean, that you actually, in some ways, have as much information, if not close, probably not all the way as the executive himself and him or herself. And you're doing things that require really tight timelines, high level of attention to detail. And so for you to have this, this transition, that's kind of why I asked you that question, because you probably know more than anyone, what it takes to build that trust and that confidence. So I want to build off that, though, and where I want to take this is you made a comment about in-person. You said in-person is the way I did that. So let's segue into, because now we're in this virtual world, and I would assume your services are Mm -hmm. mostly virtual. How do you develop that trust in a virtual world, which I assume is even harder? Yeah. So in the virtual world, what we have over the last six years found, there is a formula for developing trust. And it's pretty exciting to discover because then you can replicate it and you can recommend it to individuals stepping in into these relationships. What we've found is that you, in order to start and gain trust, you have to delegate one or two very clear and measurable tasks at the start. The way that we onboard people virtually is different than the way that we onboard people in person. When we are in person, someone can sit next to you all day and literally shadow you. You cannot do that in the same way in a virtual space. And especially if you're starting with a contractor, right? So when you're working with Chatterboss, you might have an assistant just for five hours a week. It's not efficient and they don't need, you know, to watch all of the things that go on in your life. And so you choose one or two very clear and measurable tasks. You must know what is your ROI on them. You must know that they're valuable to you and you must be able to explain what they are easily. And, you know, sometimes people go for like the really heavy thing that's the most urgent in their business. That's not the right necessarily thing to start with, because if it's a first task, that's like multi-level task, then it also almost ends up being like three or four different projects in one. And the reason you want it to be small, kind of measurable and clear is because you want to get feedback right away. I gave you this. This didn't work. Okay. Was it your communication? Was it my communication? Was it the task? And we can be very clear about where, if there was any breakdown where it happens. So we don't do it like there's, there's, you know, four pots boiling and we don't know which one is, you know, which one is overflowing. Right. So I think to synthesize a little bit of what you're saying is is maybe that those first projects should be very attackable, very easy to understand. Because I think we are like this entrepreneurs and business owners. We want to take the biggest thing that may be the most complicated, but then also probably gloss over the details and how to do that. And so I think what I'm hearing you say is if you start a little bit smaller, you set yourself up for success better. Is that my paraphrasing that okay? Yeah, absolutely. You're phrasing it exactly in the right way. And also, you know, sometimes people, when they they delegate a first task, it's almost for them like a test, right? Let me give you something a little bit convoluted so that I find out if you're very brilliant or if you're an idiot and this is how right, and right. I'm going to on purpose tell you very weird information and you're going to, you know, figure it out and I'm going to really know. That's not a good way 
to delegate. You want to, if you have these kind of processes, do that in the hiring process. With Chatterboss, we really vet our assistants. So by the time you get paired to them, you can trust it's the right person. So you don't need to do that. Very clear, very measurable. You want to succeed in your first task. Yeah, I think there is that natural... I don't know where it comes from, but give them something really difficult. And then if they can figure it out, that means they've passed the flying colors, but you don't really set them up for success. You kind of, in fact, the opposite price set them up for failure. I'm sure occasionally you have relationships not work out between the assistant and your client. How do you chalk that up? Is it a lack of maybe something on the business owner, the entrepreneur side? They could have done some things to set up for that success. Is it the individual? What do you see a lot of times when those relationships don't work out? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, certainly, you know, there are relationships that don't work out. We look at a number of different things. We actually have a matrix when we're looking at this. And so one, is it an experience mismatch, right? So is there something that you needed that this person does not know how to do that they've never gotten a chance to do, and they they are not able to bring that expertise. So for example, if I need video editing, but it's your first time video editing, and I don't know how to edit videos either, then I might get frustrated with you, but I have to know where you're, you know, am I having getting an expert or am I getting someone that's a novice here? Right. And and, and then, then it's about expectation setting. Right. But it could be the level of experience that I'm needing is not the, the, the level of experience that someone is able to provide. Uh, number two, it can be related to aptitude. You might have a lot of experience, but this is not a competency of yours. And so sometimes we're able to um, discover that, although for us, we find that in the hiring process, right? So that doesn't uh, typically what happens with us. And then another thing could be that there is a personality mismatch. And that's another thing that we do in the onset. We give you a character assessment. We give the assistant the character assessment, and then we pair you based on that. But it could be that the way that I'm communicating isn't comfortable for you. The way that you're communicating isn't comfortable for me. I wrote a whole book on the topic so I could go really, really, I'm trying to like uh, <laughs> say it as succinctly as possible, sure, sure. but a lot of things, you know, can go. But the most important thing is to be able to, that's why when we go slow, we can identify the worst is where it's like, everything is boiling. You don't know where it is. And we have a number of different worksheets. And like I said, a, a lot of different matrices to just identify where is the problem. And the worst is when someone says like, oh, it just, you're a bad person, right? It's never that it's that, right? It's always, there is a mismatch. And usually I find that people have the best intentions. And if you do have to separate, you can separate amicably. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not a personal thing. It's just not the right connection sometimes. It just happens. I wanted to get a little deeper. We talked about it a little bit, but I'd like to go one layer deeper. Remote teams, how do we effectively communicate with people that are offsite? Can you give us any tips, maybe dig a little bit deeper that could help us make sure that relationship is working effectively? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, with remote teams, you are looking at synchronous versus asynchronous communication. So you have either the opportunity when you're communicating or delegating something, you can do it like this, like we're doing uh, face-to-face in real time, or even if it's a phone call, right? Uh, You have uh, real time back and forth in communication. And then you have, you know, your Slack and your email and your project management systems that are asynchronous. What I have found is that, and, and a lot of companies, right, have found over this years after COVID is that you have to know when to use 
each one. You cannot have a full day full of meetings and burn people out because they don't have time to actually execute. And you shouldn't give feedback asynchronously when it's something, especially if it's feedback or if it's something heavy. So the biggest piece of advice that I've found that's really worked for for remote teams is if I have feedback for you, right? Like, let's say you could be doing something uh, a little bit different or better or not understanding. Always I'll try to do that feedback synchronously in real time because you'll hear my voice and it lands better and we have an opportunity to go back and forth. There's probably a reason why you're doing what you're doing. If you cannot, my plan B, if you cannot get on a synchronous call, is to send a voice note with feedback. I found people really appreciate when they can hear your voice. Hey, I saw this, you know, I was thinking about it and perhaps something like that. It just, you know, messages can land so abrupt and depending on how you're feeling that day. So that's that's my biggest piece of advice. That's a great one. I'm like the nightmare emailer because I'm very, I come off very curt. A uh, very, I don't, you know, I forget sometimes. I shouldn't say forget. I'm just too lazy. I'll drop like thes and a's. So it kind of takes all the emotion out of it or feeling out of it. So it just sounds like I'm almost barking a little bit. And I had to learn that about myself. So I love that tip about like more verbal, you know, what do you think of like using, have you heard of Voxer or something like a Voxer where you're, you, I have a client that uses Voxer just consistently. It's always audio kind of walkie talkie messages. Is that a good way in lieu of like email? Do you think? Yeah. Voxer is awesome. We have a lot of clients that communicate to their assistants on Voxer. And if that's your preferred method, that's, that's really, really good because it also transcribes. So if you're in the mood to listen, you can, if you need to read, uh, then you can. I love Voxer. If it works for you, especially you could do, and then you can connect in sync in real time, right? If I am listening at the time that you are speaking, then it's actually like a real walkie talkie. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. That, that's some great tips. I appreciate you sharing that. I want to uh, dive into another thing. What are the benefits of white space? I've heard this term white space. Can you share a little bit? What is white space and what are the benefits of it? Why is it important to us? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, the way that we talk about white space is, you know, in design terms, it, well, it's the space between the, the different uh, elements of of the design that you have between the text and in a, from a design perspective, it gives your eyes a little bit of a rest uh, so that you can concentrate about what's being represented to you visually. When we think about white space as entrepreneurs, we can kind of think about our mind and the thoughts that are coming into it or the things that the ideas that we're carrying. So, you know, if today for the day, you know, I have to, you know, some of the must things are, you know, I have to water the plants and I have to, you know, make a few returns and I have to send some invoices and all of that, right? Some of these things are, you know, kind of like mundane. Some of these items are are administrative, but if I am owning them, then they live, right? Ideas live somewhere. They're whether they're big or small, they take up the same amount of space. And so if I have all of those things, and then it's also competing with the strategic items like, you know, create uh, an investor deck or, you know, improve some process, right? Whatever in my line of business is, is considered to be creative work or write a book chapter, then it's, it's, it's very, very hard to pay our attention and and to make the the space for it. And so the idea of white space, when we're talking about partnering with administrative professionals is to be able to clean off of your mental kind of uh, desk 
these things that you don't need to be focusing on. So then those maybe three large items are there and you can give your, your full attention. It's like your, your battery is not being drained by those back, you know, the apps in the background, you've turned them all off and you know, it's, you you're only concentrating on what you have in front of you. If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. So then those maybe three large items are there and you can give your, your full attention. It's like your, your battery is not being drained by those back, you know, the apps in the background, you've turned them all off and you're only concentrating on what you have in front of you. I've never articulated it that way, but it's such, it's so <laughs> correlated to, to business coaching in terms of really getting business owners focused on what's the most important to them growing their business or whatever their goals happen to be oftentimes at scaling or growing their business. And it's so important to get them hyper-focused on what are those critical goals to get there. And if you don't have that white space, there's all these other things in your head. That's usually the things that distract them from being able to hit their goals. So I love the way you said that. You said that in such a different way, but it totally clicked with me. So great stuff. Hey, I wanted to switch now to, I've got a whole eclectic type of things I'm talking with you about today. The next thing I want to talk about is core values. I loved how you shared uh, when we first got introduced through the Podmatch site, you're really open about how you share your core values of your company. And three of them that you share is we do the right thing. And then you give the details behind that. We take the lead and we care. Very deep core values. What are your thoughts around core values? Like even your own clients, do they usually come to you with core values or do they intertwine at all when you're trying to hire someone for them? I just love how you express yours. I'm just curious your thoughts around them. Yeah, absolutely. And and actually that's a great idea, right? Because we we take in so much from our individuals and uh, and it's a great idea to ask uh, people about their core values and the organizations that we support, you know, what the values uh, are, because at this stage in the business, we've been focusing on, you know, the, those personality matches, right? In theory, when I'm looking at the personality, I understand the flavor of what's important to you, right? The value. So I know that I'm matching there, but as an organization, right? The organization can be completely different. It, you know, the values can be different. I find that when we do, for example, recruiting, like when we're recruiting for you for a full-time assistant or a chief of staff or, you know, a CMO, when we do that kind of recruiting, we always ask the core values questions because then you're interacting. Of course, you're interacting with the organization as an EA, but your kind of first barrier is you're interacting with the individual but I love that idea and I might start doing that because I think it's really clever for the organizations that have come up with their values to ask about them. Yeah, I think it, you know some companies don't necessarily make that a focus, but there's a lot that do. And I find that it does integrate really well with the type of people they're looking for and what they embody. I had one guy on my show not too long ago. And I loved what he did with his core values. I shared this in the past. In his meetings, his staff meetings once a week, usually they would someone would take turns in terms of 
giving a real world example of how the core values, one of their core values played out. And I thought that was like, what a cool way to bring that to life, keep it top of mind. And rather than just something buried, buried on a website. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's your responsibility as business owners to create the facilitate the creation of the core values. In our case, we created values two and a half years ago. That was their kind of birth. But at that stage, uh, the business was just me. I had no employees. And now we have 12 people on our team. And so we brought up the values to them to interact with and, and just, you know, and really kind of recommit to them. But once you have the values, yes, the only thing that they're, the only purpose to make them is to use them. And so I like how, you know, you mentioned this example. What we have is a Slack channel where we mention things that have come up throughout the day where they were really, you know, related to the values. We also, what we've found, it's actually been miraculous. It's been really game changing to have the core values in the sense of when we have difficult decisions to make. These decisions are no longer difficult, like where there is like three people would say something different, right? Like something major has happened. It's actually our core values dictate the answer. We don't know exactly, right, what the question will be, but it's like the oracle, right? Like you spit in your question and based on your values, you know what you're supposed to do next. Like if we need to, you know, this person is asking for a refund, right? This person uh, left in this kind of a way, right? Like some kind of negative things that happen within the organization. You can look and say, okay, this is fair. This is our guidelines. And it takes a lot of the thinking out of it as well. Yeah, no, totally agree with you. Now, a couple more questions. In terms of the direction of Chatterboss, Chatterboss, like how are you guys positioning yourselves? What do you kind of see for yourself in terms of where you're taking Chatterboss? Yeah, so we focus on, uh, of course, uh, supporting entrepreneurs and business owners. That's been us from day one. And our biggest differentiation is that we, one is that we focus on the human relationships. So there is this psychometric uh, piece to it. And number two, there is a big focus on science and human behavior, tracking, understanding, researching, and collecting that information to make business owners better delegators, to have them feel, to help them avoid burnout, to help them optimize their time. And so our big focus is on psychology. And we have had, you know, once we've realized that's our positioning, the people that are attracted to us are, it's amazing, right? Both assistants and the clients, people who are focused on self-awareness, people who want to engage in this dialogue to to become better. And I believe it is the, the high performers in the business world that are attracted to this. So it's been it's been really fascinating, but just, you know, that continuous evolution, learning and research. And, you know, my personal goal is to be able to contribute to the field of uh, psychology in the space of outsourcing and delegation by adding meaningful literature uh, that's published by us through observation of, of clients and assistants. Hmm. So when you say psychology, like how does this all tie together? Can you go a little deeper for me? Like, because I know in your uh, in your opening notes, even you talked a little bit about problem solving in a psychological way. What, what's that mean? Just dig a little bit deeper if you don't mind. 
Yeah, absolutely. So when we have our assistants start, uh, we have them complete a character assessment. Our clients complete a character assessment as well. And what this allows us to do, right, it's not just for the algorithm to spit out an answer. What then the assistants have an opportunity to do is to learn what their character looks like in action within this career. The client gets to learn about what their character looks like when delegating. So that's kind of the biggest core of it. And then when client and assistant get paired, they also get information on how best to work with each other, right? So that's why I say a lot of it is about expectation setting because you may not have the perfect match, right? You're not actually going to have everything aligned, but you should know this is our strengths together and this is our weaknesses. So there is a lot of exploration and research that we are doing in this space. And then of course, you know, these additional tools that we're continuing to build the delegation self-assessment is a new one uh, and a big one. It's been really fascinating. It's been really, really fascinating to see clients and assistants interact with this. I like that. I like the thought of setting expectations in the context of what your strengths and weaknesses are. I think that's a really cool way to kind of align or decide, you know, where what you're going to get from each other. I think another, if you don't mind me sharing, what I believe is part of your unique positioning is just you. Like just the fact that you've been in the world of supporting executives and obviously you have to be really good at what you do to be able to do that. I think that secret sauce that you know what it takes to support those types of individuals and fast-moving entrepreneurs and business owners. I think that's part of your position or, you know, part of your brand, I guess, or your identity in terms of how people should perceive you because that's unique too. You know, I, I so appreciate you bringing the conversation into the space. And I don't know if, you know, anyone listening has uh, kind of gone through a similar journey, but there was a very long time where like I fought against that, like what you just said, right? You know, and for various reasons, but one of the reasons was, you know, I think all of us with our businesses, we feel attached to them. And I was trying to do this kind of mental work for myself to try and disattach, right? That like, I created Chatterboss, but I am not all that Chatterboss is. Like, you know, I am more than that, right? I have different things because I've, you know, I've, I've thought about, you know, we've lived through COVID where like we tanked completely in those beginning stages, right? And it was very important for me to know that I have value beyond the business. But in those beginning, when I was still struggling with that, it was also very hard to kind of feel like I could be the face of it. But then not be attached, right? Like it's, uh, you know, it's like the karate kid. So it's, I'm very grateful you say it because, you know, if things have come full circle, I think like doing that mental work for myself, I've come into a place where like, yes, I can own that, but it, it was quite a journey to get there. Yeah. And I appreciate your transparency. I think we all at one time or another as business owners feel like our business is our identity yeah. and it's really hard to separate that. So, you know, it's cool that you would share that. And I know COVID, you know, many businesses during that period uh, really tested us to the nth degree. So thanks for sharing that. Hey, I got one last question. It's more of a fun one. I'd love to wrap up the show with a business or a life tip. If there's something you've learned along your journey uh, that you can share with us and maybe we can apply either to our personal or our business life, anything come to mind? Yeah, I really just appreciate the, you know, your your interview styles. So thank you for these really uh, thoughtful questions. It just has been really fun interacting and having this conversation. Sure. You know, 
different stages of our lives and our business uh, bring off, you know, these, these different things. My theme right now in both business and in my personal life is that life will and business will test you, right? The market will test you. And what I've found is that things that look bad end up being good. <laughs> and things that look bad sometimes might be good, right? The opposite. <laughs> right, right. And you know, I, I believe it's a Robert Frost poem, right? Like treat your enemy uh, and your friend in the same way, you know, treat success and failure um, in the same way. And, you know, kind of an extension of that is don't make assumptions based on the very first piece of information that you have, right? Uh, if something looks like it's trending down, it doesn't mean that, you know, because it's it's all like this, right? You know, it goes up, it goes down, and then it goes all the way up, and we kind of don't know where it all ends ultimately is going to end. Uh, but what we have to do is enjoy the ride. And the ride is much more enjoyable when we can give in to the fact that there's things that we can't control, focus on what we can control, and just keep going forward. Yeah, those are words of wisdom. All I could think of, as you were saying the whole time, is, and you said it right at the end, is just enjoy the journey. Just enjoy the journey because it's easy to get caught up in little bumps in the road and and put too much importance into them. And I'm speaking from personal experience that we forget to enjoy the ride or enjoy the journey. So that that's a great one. I love it. Hey, I'll put this in the thinktyler.com show notes, but your website, chatterboss.com, chatterboss.com. If you have a chance, go check out their website, chatterboss.com. Is there anywhere else if you wanted the audience to reach out to you uh, that you'd like them to go? Yeah, that's the best way. Um, if they go to chatterboss.com, we have the schedule a consultation. Uh, we're also during business hours. You can ask us any questions. Uh, there is a chat in there as well. And at this moment, I don't have the resource, but maybe by the time you guys are listening, there might be the resources on. But if not, you can always, always, if you go to schedule a consultation, if you find time and any of the resources that I mentioned on this call and you just want to get them, that's also a really good way. You know, you can ask the relationship manager that you're connecting with. We'll be very happy to share any of the resources, the delegation uh, assessment. And yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. So delegation assessment may be live by the time the show is live. If not, just go to their website, request it, and they'll be happy to give you a copy. I, and I know people, I'm sure, will want to take a look at that because that's usually one of the biggest things that can help us as business owners. Okay, well, hey, thanks again, Valerie. Appreciate your time. You're articulate, you're well-spoken, and you're just a joy to talk with. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Take care. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric acid. 
Are you a fan of classic cinema or a young person who wants to discover the best films of all time? Do these legendary movies still hold up? On the Generation Film Podcast, two guys who grew up when movies dominated the culture share a great film with a panel of young movie lovers and see how it plays for today's generation. We discuss changes in storytelling styles, representation, the making of each film, its initial reception, and how its meaning has changed over the years. Join us as we explore cinema classics across generations on Generation Film. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.